Welcome to our latest episode of the Lebanese Physicians uh, Podcast. And today, this is episode number 72 of the podcast, uh, which we'll be discussing in it, improving access to primary health care in Lebanon, especially in the era of the economic collapse and crisis. And our guests today are uh, Ruba Al-Khatib, who is a primary health program manager at the Agence France de Développement, and Maduri Severnini, who is actually the health program manager at the EU delegation in Lebanon. And both of them are involved in donor uh, issues in uh, healthcare in Lebanon. And uh, this episode is co-hosted by Dr. Vlad Shaddad, who uh, probably everybody met in a previous uh, podcast. Uh, Vlad, you can you can introduce yourself in a bit, and then Dr. Hamad Ali Jardali, the famous, uh, he's been co-hosting the podcast with us. Yeah, so I'm uh, Vlad. I'm uh, a medical doctor. I've been in the health, humanitarian, and development sector since I graduated, 2014. My uh, experience is mostly in the Middle East. I'm currently uh, the regional health advisor for IRC uh, in the MENA region. Great. Thank you. All right, and thank you, Ruba and uh, Maduri, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having having us. us. So I'm going to ask this question for uh, Ruba, but Maduri, you can feel free to chime in too. Uh, So how was primary healthcare in Lebanon before the era of uh, economic collapse, and was it available to uh, all the population? So, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be speaking as a Lebanese before speaking like on (laughs) as a health project manager for Adde in Lebanon. So as we know that. In general, the Lebanese health healthcare culture has always emphasized the tertiary care above primary healthcare. So PHCCs were always overlooked. Primary healthcare was overlooked. PHCCs were always considered for the for the poorest, mainly refugees, domestic uh, workers. So rather than strengthening the PHC, the Lebanese health system empowered private hospitals, mainly by covering 80-90% of patients' bill through the NSSF. So over the time, private hospitals flourished and public institutions, be it primary healthcare, public hospitals, they were like really neglected in terms of staff shortages, uh, budgetary constraints, etc. So although you asked me if it's the, the access, the primary healthcare centers, they are like equally distributed across the country, but they remain underdeveloped with no provision of basic diagnosis, imaging, and testing. So patients still have to go to hospitals to require diagnostic tests specifically for emergency. So if I can describe it, there was like really some bad, very bad perception or reputation around primary healthcare centers. But now I think with the crisis, with the economic crisis of 2019, this perception has, has changed. And the uh, primary health care centers, they provided the proof that they can improve the overall health access, control illnesses, decrease the cost, and keeping the hospitalization as the last uh, resort. So um, the question for both of you, Aruba and Maduri. So what has been the role of uh, the EU and the AFD before and after the, the crisis and how have you been promoting the primary care in Lebanon? And maybe describe uh, how you both organizations invested in, in, in the primary care sector in, in, in Lebanon, like a big, bigger picture. I mean, thanks for the question. I mean, from, from our side, from the EU delegation side and the EU institution side of things, 
Um, so actually the EU became involved in primary health and health in general since 2018. We were not involved in the health sector before. And basically what made um, the EU become active, if you want, in the health sector initially was the Syrian refugee crisis in Lebanon. So we had a political line to, to follow as well. Um, which was basically linked to supporting the government of Lebanon with the additional load and people that were, need, were that would be needing to access these services while being hosted in Lebanon. So this is essentially Syrian refugees. And we, so basically all of our basic services uh, funding, which in, in this episode we're discussing health, but it, it goes to say for education and social protection as well. Uh, we became involved with this, if you want, um, for this reason. So before... Before the presence of Syrian refugees in Lebanon, we were not active in the health sector. And um, and I mean, this is changing, of course, nowadays because the crisis is, is uh, worsening, it's impacting everyone. But I think it's important to be reminded that the initial reason for us to become involved in health was, was indeed the Syrian refugees. And the, the, the choice, if you want, of supporting a primary health care system was a little bit linked to what Roba was saying is like, when we first became involved, there was a very empowered private sector, if you want, within hospitalization, specifically looking at tertiary care. Um, and essentially, when the, when the refugee population started coming to Lebanon, it was mostly women, children needing access to basic services, to deliveries, to antenatal care, to children immunization services, to try also to you know compensate for the crowded living conditions that most of the Syrian refugees were ended up living in. So you wanted to prevent disease outbreak, you wanted to make sure that children were vaccinated, that, that you know, people had access to medications because in general the population was one which was more vulnerable and poor than, than the Lebanese population. So the, the, the entry point and the access for us was really primary care. Um, if we, if we you know, supported that system and that sort of network which the, the ministry had set up through, through the primary healthcare centers, it was a way of making sure that these primary healthcare centers were receiving funding and support so that they could continue to provide services to anyone who needed access with kind of a universal health coverage vision to, to our programs. So that's why basically, you know, we became involved in, in health because of this reason. And then we chose the primary health care to really push on preventive care and promotion and, and try and basically stop people from getting sick to the extent that then they would have needed hospitalization, considering that, you know, they were a more vulnerable population as well. Um, so I think that's a little bit the background to, to our involvement. Of course, it's changed since. I mean, especially since the last two, two years. I mean, the, the space of prevention and health promotion has stayed, but our we, we see the number of people that are reaching our centers, as Roba is saying, is, is a lot more higher than it used to be. There is a change in behavior and perception that these centers really are offering quality care um, and anyone can have access to them. Um, so it's changing a little bit, but yeah, as a reminder as to why at least the EU and I think AFD has has similar uh, reasons that Roba will now will now go on to explain. But this was a little bit the the thinking behind it, and um, yeah, I mean that initial investment is somehow we're hoping will pay off during this crisis and the future, so that you know a, a more permanent behavioral change towards going to seek health as a preventive and promotive. Uh, means and not just when one is really sick, we're hoping will we'll stick through through that investment that was initially made um, by the donors in 2018 with the Syrian refugee crisis.
maybe from uh, thank you Maduri. So maybe from IFD side, it's uh, it's quite the same. So actually, our intervention within the healthcare sector, we started in 2019 supporting the public hospitals, knowing that in Lebanon, uh, as the mandate is to support the public sector, being on different subsectors, being on health, education, etc. So we support the public, the national. Uh, strategies and, and institution but actually our our way of working has changed so ifd as a development agency we are used and, and our mandate is to invest mainly in infrastructure and in, uh, in uh, as development bank now actually we are shifting and we are more investing in human capital being healthcare workers being uh, patients supporting patients well etc so we switch from like a public policy dialogue to Funding operating costs, actually, what this is what we're doing uh, right now. So we had also to adapt our tools and actually we were a bit like obliged a bit to, to try and change our uh, financing tools. So we shifted from big loans to working with the ministries of public health in the case of the health sector to mainly grants channeled through international NGOs or associations. So actually, it's not really our mandate and it's not really uh, our role as development bank. So what I can say that we are really operating in a very unusual way, a way that is very particular and exceptional to the Lebanese context. So actually, we are we are accompanying the, the collapse of the system and we are trying as much as, as we can to, to slow down this, this, this collapse, the system collapse. So this is not... At all our way of uh, of working, and we didn't use to 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 work on uh, primary healthcare on health in general, but now we are shifting from more than investment, more on assisting on and uh, basic services and basic social uh, needs. Maybe I can just um, add just one thing on on the when I what I was saying initially how the EU health program and the basic services investment started in 2019 and what was around before. The idea there was also that Lebanon was, you know, an upper middle income country. It's, it had its own government, its own ministries, its own system to kind of provide health services for those in need, right? So there was no need for, for this external aid. And the external aid was needed to support an additional population, which was external to the Lebanese population that needed to seek access. Um, but this is why, basically, before 2018, there was the EU Development Corporation focused on other areas like security, like trade, like economic growth, because the, the country was considered an upper, in, you know, middle income country. People had insurance. People were able to. It wasn't considered like a country in crisis in need where basic services needed to be, be provided and subsidized by by external aid. Um, so just a point to to add there. No, this this definitely makes so much sense. Before the multiple crises of 2019, it was not just the economical crisis, the economic crisis also coincided with the COVID crisis and then the Beirut blast, so it's one crisis after another and the entire healthcare system has completely collapsed. So before the crisis, uh, we don't have exact statistics, but 30% of the needs had private insurance, 30% had insurance through the NSSF, through the Ministry of Public Health. And uh, basically after the multiple crises, from 2019 onward, all of that has been decimated. We don't have exact statistics right now, but the majority of the Lebanese have been plunged into poverty and have no access and no coverage of healthcare whatsoever. So uh, in terms of uh, strengthening the primary healthcare center uh, before 2019, really the Lebanese were able to get by and to focus on the private sector, but the, the ground and the game has shifted completely since then, whereas the majority of the Lebanese cannot afford uh, the private sector so it's it's really uh 
timely that uh, we have all this external support to support the PHCC, which is open to everyone in Lebanon, whether, whether yeah. Lebanese or Syrian refugees. And we also have the Palestinian refugees and migrant workers. So it's, it's really multiple uh, populations uh, in, residing in Lebanon who are able to, to access this. And as someone who did family medicine training in Lebanon, uh, I've had the privilege to uh, work in multiple and train in multiple primary healthcare centers. And I was able to uh, see the, the shift in terms of the funding and in terms of the shift in perception and access of, uh, of patients really before 2019 and after 2019, like you can see a clear uh, demarcation. And uh, really, I think uh, the primary healthcare center and the public sector itself, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, was able to pull in its weight and uh, was able to do amazing work uh, that was uh, similar uh, to and shouldered what the private sector was able to offer. So it's really great to see uh, all this external uh, support of the primary healthcare uh, system uh, in Lebanon. Uh, and this, this, this ties us to uh, the role of uh, the MOPH, right? Because like you said, before 2019, Lebanon had an active government with a mission and vision. But uh, how, is, how has that changed after the multiple crises of 2019? And are you supported by the MOPH and uh, your mission? And who are your partners on the ground? So in terms of, you know, how, how we work with the MOPH and how we, you know, share visions and, and programs and, and how we implement, I mean, absolutely, I think one of the conditions, if you want, of our of our aid, both internally for ourselves, but also with, with, you know, with respect to the Lebanese government is to have a dialogue and to have a coordination mechanism, um, which is, you know, strong. Because essentially what we're trying to do with our programs is, of course, to provide services to those who are in need, but it's always been, we are not humanitarian actors, which might be a bit confusing in this context, because what is humanitarian, what is not humanitarian, um, can be confused in, in contexts like Lebanon and protracted crises and everything. But essentially, we are development corporation um, actors, which means that, of course, we are when we work in these basic services, we are there to respond to needs and to and to provide services, but always with a kind of system strengthening approach. In our case, a health system strengthening approach. And you know, in order to achieve health system strengthening, you need to work within a system rather than set up a parallel uh, structure. So all of our assistance has always been coordinated and. Um, you know, worked with with the Ministry of Public Health, so in designing our programs, in in deciding indeed that primary health care was going to be the the point of entry, and trying to identify exactly how our our aid was going to be implemented, which centers, how the payment mechanisms, the packages of care to be to be supported. So, from our side, and and again, Roba will speak on half of the AFD, but it's always been very much uh, coordinated with with the ministry. Because of, of situations which are much out of my own hands and out of Gruba's hands, we are unable to provide direct funding to the Lebanese government because this um, th there's you know reform programs and political lines that are supposed to be um, respected. And at the moment, the IMF program is indeed the, the carrot and the stick, if you want, that we're trying to um, push through with, with the Lebanese government in terms of reform for more substantial aid. So actually our aid, even we are coordinating with MOPH, but we are unable to, to provide direct funding to the government and provide um, public sector spending. So indeed, then we have partners on the ground who are implementing the programs that are designed together with us donors and the Ministry of Public Health, as well as other big UN agencies that are active in, in Lebanon and you know the whole health sector as a whole. So currently we work primarily on, on, on our primary health care program is 
implemented through INGOs, International Medical Corps and Première Urgence Internationale, who they in, in their part, so we are contracted with them, but they in their part support a network, I mean, 60 primary healthcare centers all over Lebanon who are run by independent NGOs and associations. So they are our partners as much as, you know, the other UN agencies and INGOs with whom we work with. And they are the ones essentially delivering, delivering the care and making sure that the quality of care is there, that payment mechanisms are respected, that people who are supposed to be um, have their services subsidized, indeed have their services subsidized, that there's equal treatment and equal access to anyone needing care with a universal health coverage approach at primary healthcare centers. So it's all coordinated with, with government structures because as, as I mentioned, we're trying to support health system strengthening and to have sustainability once we will no longer be funding these programs, so capacity building and everything. But in terms of actual implementation, we are uh, we work with basically partners on the ground, which are supporting um, you know the implementation of, of these programs. We are unable to work directly with with MOPH. Actually, specifically on primary healthcare, I think IFD and EU are the main uh, uh, donors within this uh, this sector or this subsector, and uh, and the idea is actually for for IFD in general is not to create a parallel system or like a fragmented system. Already, the primary healthcare system in Lebanon is fragmented, so we are not here to increase this fragmentation or to like to uh, to uh, even create this parallel system that. At the end, we will be accountable of creating the system, and uh, we don't want to be faced. We had this issue of okay, we're gonna if I have dead drops out from this hospital, we will, we will be able, we will not be able to continue, and we will be obliged to close the hospital. So this is actually the la the least that we want to create this dependency to international uh, donors. Unfortunately, as Maduri said, we're not allowed at this stage to finance directly for political uh, reasons in the MOPH, but the idea it's and we urge, and it's a condition for us to grant funds for the NGOs. In our case, it's also Première Urgence, Médecins du Monde, and also we insist on working with local NGOs like Amel, etc., in order to hand over this project to the MOPH one day. Inshallah, when the situation is, uh, is a bit better. But the idea is to, to uh, we are not here to replace the MOPH. This is very important. We're not here, we are here to support, and we are not here to take the role of the state. This is why actually we are implementing the national strategy. We are where we have the buy-in of the MOPH. We have the, the the so actually they are accountable, they are responsible of the results of their own strategy. And this is very important for us. And now I think we have like a good minister that we can that there's there's a national strategy, there's the 2030 vision that we are fully aligned with and we are trying to implement as much as we can through our partners, awaiting for, like Maduri said, the IMF and the day we will be able to work again and give grants to the, to the MOPH. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like limitations in, in different countries in terms of working uh, uh, as donors in, in these countries. I mean, some countries don't have a government, some countries there's war, when you're when you're going into these countries and and I'm sure there's limitations in in Lebanon per se because there's a lot of political uh, I guess what you could call instability maybe or uh, that affects you or limits you in terms of delivering the care that you want to deliver but it's good that you're working with the MOPH to try to implement the national strategy so I assume that the NGOs that you're working with and I think Vlad works for for an NGO too and he can comment on this too but the NGOs that you're working with are vetted, right, by, is, are they vetted by you, are they vetted by the MOPH, 
or how do you vet these NGOs that you work with uh, when you decide that you're going to donate funds to these NGOs? Maybe Ruba, you can start with this and then Maduri can follow. Okay, so in terms of, of vetting, the, the decision is uh, eventually and mainly from, from our side, but uh, we always have the MOPH and uh, specifically the Department of Primary Healthcare within, with, with us uh, within the selection committee. So they have the right to vote and to choose the, the consortium, mainly the consortium of NGOs that will be handling the, the project. And maybe one point here, it is very important that um, within this very volatile political context, we maintain a very good relationship with the ministers eventually, but also we have a very solid relationship with the departments being primary healthcare department, hospital department, because these are the people who will eventually stay and we will be able to continue working with them beyond political interference and political changes. So you asked about limitations and, and challenges. Political, political dialogue and diplomatic dialogue, if you want, with public policies and the expression of needs, it's very challenging for us. So we have different political vision uh, within the sectors. So we have big discrepancies. Uh, we don't always have uh, a strategy. We have, uh, as IFD, as Development Bank, we have, we are, we have also uh, over overarching objectives, mainly SDGs and indicators for which you are accountable. And uh, this is actually a kind of limitation and the challenge. And as I said, financial financing tools. So now, uh, with grants, we are very limited with the amounts. We are very limited with the with the mandates. So loans give us eventually more uh, more flexibility. Also, in the absence of a banking system, the collapse of a public sector. We have the middle class who is disappearing and was turning. So we have this huge and massive uh, movement from the private sector to the primary health care sectors to receive this medical case. This is actually also a big challenge for us in order to enter the primary health care eventually to absorb this, uh, this this toll on the public institutions. So, so sometimes we feel that we are a bit like, as I said, working in, in like a chronic crisis now, we can say it's not like an acute crisis uh, right now. And and I can I can say that sometimes we feel like we are really in a situation of uh, powerlessness. I just wanted also to, uh, to highlight one thing that Ruba like touched upon on, on, on many levels, it's communication and uh, coordination. And uh, Lebanon, I mean, since the time I've joined the health sector in Lebanon, uh, it has shown a high uh, effectiveness and professionalism. So this sector, they, they they meet on a monthly basis. You have representatives from different donors, different NGOs, uh, international and local, and also the presence of the Ministry of Health. So the fact that we are all talking about same problems, we can find different solutions, but as well as I can say to you that, for example, whenever we are choosing a place or we are uh, want to uh, in, uh, target, you know, a, a new place, we always coordinate with the local health authorities, but as well as the Ministry of Public Health. So we're always in good relations in terms of communication because uh, we want to also avoid duplication. So we, we don't want also to have two INGOs working near a lot near each other, you know. So this is also a smart way of having a more cost-effective project. As uh, Ruba said, that uh, worldwide we are seeing also uh, decreasing funds, you know, for our projects. So we need to be smarter in using those funds. So people are getting through 
good consultation, good results, you know, and uh, we'll see what the future will hold us. No, maybe just to add a little bit on basically challenges and limitations also as international donors trying to put on, you know, programs that are not creating parallel systems, that are doing system strengthening, and that are trying to ensure some continuity beyond, I mean, and something beyond just financing, right? And I think I think a big, a big limitation that we have nowadays is, as Roba was mentioning, the collapse of the middle class. This also includes the collapse of purchasing power of, you know, civil servants and people working within ministries and within governments. So we we rely on these national structures to to coordinate and to work with to ensure that we're setting up a system that we're you know increasing technical capacity and ensuring that um, you know this, the technical support that we are providing is is going to be in the hands of of people that are staying you know beyond our temporary support. But then at the same time, we see this this these government structures completely collapsing and our government counterparts or civil servants unable to come to the office due to you know fuel crises and and salaries which are no longer competitive and enough for them to actually have a decent living so i think this is a huge challenge and um, so basically having a depleting depleting res like public resources with whom to actually have this exchange and that's both in terms of people that are currently working with ministries but it's also you know, the, the freeze on hiring of new public servants, which means that when people retire or when they they, they, they leave their jobs, there's no replacement. So we have entire department with, which in ministries, within ministries, which are, uh, you know, understaffed and, and, and people are, are not around. And I think this is, maybe we oversee it sometimes, but it's a huge, huge um, challenge for us. Um, and it's and it's a very difficult one to overcome because again the solution doesn't really lie with us it lies with much wider reforms that need to happen it lies with you know a collapsing economy and things that really go beyond the health sector but they affect the health sector um, a lot and then I would also say that also I mean the, the currency fluctuation is also a huge challenge for us because we are donors we 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 are paying our projects if you want in this hard currency but from one day to the next what our currency can actually buy and purchase in terms of services, in terms of paying salaries and or not paying salaries within within ministries, but even paying salaries of people on, on, on the ground in our NGOs changes all the time, right? So understanding what really is the value and, and the purchasing power in a situation where where on a day to on a daily okay, now it's a little bit more um if you want stable, but I remember when we first started, especially in 2000 and and 19 when we first started some of the programs you know we, we designed a whole payment mechanism based on a on a dollar to 1500 lebanese pound exchange rate and once our contracts were signed i mean you know what happened happened so so now we are still operating on on a system which is somehow fictitious but but it, it is what it is so i think that's um a major major challenge the collapse of the currency and trying to understand really that the purchasing power is a problem this makes sense. And to anyone who's working on the ground, the challenge of the volatile currency and sometimes from month to month is shifting by up to 50% at one point in the summer. And then you have a yeah. plateau and then it's ridiculous. Honestly, you, you, you cannot explain it unless unless you live it. Um, and no one can predict it or no one knows. From one day to the next, it's just, you know. Even even during the same day, it's, it's, it's ridiculous yeah. to say the least. Uh, I, I want to just uh, touch on something that Ruba talked about earlier in terms of not being in an acute crisis, but being in an acute, prolonged, multiple crisis and being in just defense mode and just trying to respond to, to what comes ahead. Uh, do you see uh, yourself being involved uh, on the long term? And 
how do you anticipate this transition uh, in terms of the uh, self-sustainability goals and in terms of achieving this uh, self-sufficiency? And um, Vlad touched on it and you touched on it in terms of the donations decreasing, not just from the EU, but elsewhere. How, how do you uh, see this moving forward in the future? From my side, actually, we don't have now a vision beyond 2023. So our current project is, is ongoing up until 2024. But then we really don't have any, uh, any, any vision on the available funds that we will have for Lebanon. So uh, what is sure, it's, we will not stay in this mode of crisis response and firefighting. So uh, as Maduri said, we're not uh, at all uh, humanitarian actors. And our mandate now within our project, it's really to work on, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say long term, but maybe medium term in, uh, in Lebanon while having a small envelope to respond to unexpected crisis. But the idea is to keep the cap on the medium term. So we will not be like uh, working like in the way that we are doing now. So actually, and as, as Vlad said, prices are multiplying. Uh, priorities are competing, so specifically with the Ukrainian crisis and others. So resources will not be uh, the same, and uh, Lebanon will not be the top priority, of, uh, unfortunately. But it's uh, it's the reality. So I mean, it's it's it, it be, and it's the idea. It's for Lebanon. Lebanon must find its own solutions to uh, to recover. And if you ask me, I do not anticipate the self sufficiency. In a system that still pay that now the idea they will pay the salaries in dollars while its tax revenue is still on on LBP. So the only way out it's the achievement of reforms and the IMF for us in order to achieve our intervention and our implication in Lebanon. So traveling back in time to strengthen primary healthcare in Lebanon is of course now quite impossible, and that that means that now we need to work with the available resources and proceed with a radical reform in the healthcare system, it's, it's the only key to preserve the right uh, to access to health services. This is the only way we see it uh, right now. So basically very similar to what uh, Roba just mentioned. So we, we became involved, as I said earlier in the introduction, as a response to one crisis, which then developed into, into something else and ever since has gone through a couple of other mutations. So. Our midterm, long-term vision is we are involved now in, in primary health uh, in Lebanon and until more or less 2026, we will continue to have programs and to have projects ongoing. But we entered with a very specific uh, crisis we were responding to and the intention is to basically eventually uh, phase out. It's not to be here forever and it's not here to basically subsidize the, the healthcare system for Lebanon forever. So as much as possible, integrate, you know, system strengthening and support the structures that are in place now but eventually you know as, as, as all the things that Robert just mentioned so competing crises and and mandates in terms of who is really supposed to be doing what and really the government of Lebanon is is should be responsible for providing the services for for health but also for education social protection or basic services for its own population um so we're here to kind of fill a gap for now but but not not uh, absolutely in in the long term and this is also more legitimate, again, because we are not humanitarian actors, we are here for development cooperation. So the situation that we are in now is a little bit tricky. So let, let's see what we're able to achieve from now until 2026. But um, beyond that, there is no guarantee that we will continue to be um, involved in the sector. 
Right. I mean, I agree without without government reforms, it's going to be hard to you cannot play the role of a government to improve improve vital health sectors and the living yeah. economy. It has to be the government who does that, which brings me to a couple of more questions, which is one is, does the Ministry of Public Health have a current approach to primary health care? Like what's their approach to primary health care uh, currently or is it just an approach that is in conjunction with with the donors, uh, but there's no like set approach, I guess. I don't know. Does Madhuri, uh, do, do you want to start? Um, so I think, I mean, there is there there is what has been an approach to primary health care. We are now a little bit of a critical juncture where the with the publishing and the endorsement of the National Health Strategy earlier this year in January, which really put primary health care back at the center of the of the strategy, if you want, of the current minister, which you can argue before wasn't the case because as Robert was mentioned in the beginning, the, the whole Lebanese health sector was kind of structured around costly and very specialized tertiary care and less so in primary. But now that we are at a you know critical juncture and a crisis point, we see that the MLPH budget is basically worth a tenth of what it used to be worth. And we see that an increasing number of, of people are actually in need of the basic care because people can no longer even go to private pharmacies to buy their own medication. They're going to the primary healthcare centers where medication is given out for free or at least a very small fee. There is really um, like an alarm bell I think has rung and it's and and at the highest level, we've realized that actually primary health care needs to be at the basis of, of any healthy health care system. So now, that this was kind of introduced as a concept within the national health strategy again launched in january the ministry then took it under the minister took it under his his own initiative to develop a specific chapter which was going to deep dive at primary health and um, in the development of what should be a primary health care roadmap which is supposed to be a vision and kind of mission and an overall uh, document to lay what the primary health care vision for for the government of lebanon is and that's you know keeping in mind um, principles of universal health coverage and, and basic care and also human rights, right? Like we are, we're all human beings and I think access to basic health care is, is, is a basic human right. So let's say that, you know, there is good impetus and good uh, motivation to really put primary health care back at the center. I think the part which is more tricky, I mean, now we with with the ongoing EU and, and uh, AFD funding, there we're implementing a sort of approach to, to the provision of primary health care, which is going to continue. And at the same time, the government is also looking to now use a World Bank loan to also implement a primary health care program with a slightly different uh, payment mechanism, but following the same protocols of care and benefit packages, which are going to be expected to be provided at primary health care centers. And eventually, I think the idea is to see which ones of these programs is, is better performing and more efficient in terms of quality of care and also in terms of, you know, financing to then lay out basically this vision and this primary health care roadmap to define what, what primary health care would look like for Lebanon going forward. I think what is more tricky is, is for the government of Lebanon to find its own internal funding to really support this idea that primary health care needs to be put back at the center of health, of, of the health system, because it's one thing to, you know, develop documents and have the good intention, but it's another thing to actually put in your national budget on a year-to-year -year basis a, a budget line which is dedicated to primary health care, which up until today we have not seen. So before, even before the, the, the crisis, 
basically the majority of the MLPH budget was going to subsidize uh, costly hospitalization bills for people that were not covered with private insurance. And all the primary healthcare system was getting was some sort of in-kind medications and in-kind vaccinations, which the government was actually also um, relying on international aid to provide, but that was that was basically the contribution of the government, medication and vaccination, but no actual funding to primary healthcare centers to, to be able to you know, provide consultations and pay their staff and, and, and provide these services. It was all up to primary healthcare centers to basically find their own sources of funding. When international donors came in, there was, of course, a huge, a much bigger incentive for primary healthcare centers to give these services because we came following MLPH protocols, we made the payment behind the scenes. I mean, not behind the scenes, but you know what I mean, like in the background. Now, if, if this intention of MLPH and the government is really to put primary health care at the center, then I think we need to begin to see that financial uh, you know, backing and, and internal domestic resource mobilization to really increase the, the government revenue to primary health care and not just an intention because essentially health services they cost and someone needs to pay. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's the the biggest challenge of MOPH at the moment. Right. And uh, Ruba, do you do you agree? Yeah, definitely just uh, want to summarize the MOPH they they have the minister um, he has the will, but I'm not sure that he has the, the means. So uh, so the will is there now that, I mean, the, the, the budget of the primary health care within the MOPH budget, it doesn't exceed more than 3%. So it's really like uh, like peanuts. So uh, it's, it's nothing. So for, for, for us, for, for the Minister of Public Health, I mean, the challenge now, it's really to uh, to have the, the I don't know, so uh, taxation or anything that can secure funds to the, the MOPH and to be like really allocated to the budget of uh, of the ministry. But I think one, one, one challenge that is still remaining within the, the, the PHC, it's the awareness. It's, uh, I, I think that this, this component is still lacking. And, and whenever the MOPH uh, lifted the subsidies on medication without preparing the ground and preparing people on the availability of services of medication within the PHCs, I think it was like a miscalculated step. So, uh, so this is why actually we had the strikes and we had uh, people not finding their medication in the pharmacy. So I think preparing the ground and this is the behavioral change of patients because patients actually they were going to primary health care only to have the medication and leave. So they there weren't like this continuum of care and the idea of having the prevention, the consultation, the radiology, and the needed medication at so medication it's it should be at the end of this circuit and uh, for Lebanese, Lebanese residents, patients, the idea, it's mainly the medication, to go get the medication. So I think awareness, uh, public awareness, education, it's very important to, to contribute to the shift of perception of the healthcare in, uh, in Lebanon. And eventually we, should, we shouldn't uh, forget the tertiary care and secondary care, uh, mainly emergency. One cannot replace the, the other. So we have hospital care, public hospital care, eventually that is underfunded. We have the increased number of uninsured uh, patients. We have the inflation rates, rendering the NSSF coverage, uh, I mean, useless using the, the old rates. So now many Lebanese, they are not hospital hospitalized uh, for emergency. They are resorting to uh, self-medication, phone consultation, nearby pharmacies. 
and we are seeing this in emergencies. We have endless complications and uh, and errors. So primary healthcare is extremely important and eventually to, to decrease the toll of public uh, hospitals, but it shouldn't in the public hospitals also it should be very important with taking into consideration the huge lobbying of the private uh, the political lobbying of private uh, hospitals. Right. So yes, it's, it's it's not gonna be easy. Yeah, Ruba, Ruba, I think what, yeah, what, you, what you're saying is they, the, the medications in Lebanon were subsidized uh, previously, and then suddenly uh, they, the subsidies were lifted and the prices of medications went went up by by tens of times, I think, if not more, uh, of what their price was before. So people suddenly could not afford them. And then also public versus private, the, the public sector is very underfunded. And then if patients go to a private hospital, if it's not an emergent issue, they typically are not admitted if they don't have at least primary or secondary health insurance that would let them be admitted. So this is a big problem uh, that's ongoing, and that's where the importance of primary care comes in to prevent these episodes from happening and prevent people from ending up in emergency departments that they cannot afford. And Vlad, Vlad, as part of an NGO yourself, I mean, you're on the ground, right? What do you think of this plan that's ongoing at this point for primary health care? Well, I think one idea that really pops out of uh, Ruba's uh, comment right now is, you know, to actually let people know, you know, that there is not only a possibility of having a medical consultation, but also, you know, uh, to actually follow up on your chronic disease, for example. Like, as you know, the, the, the non-communicable disease burden in Lebanon and worldwide is the biggest like health burden. And what we end up seeing is the complication of non-followed up upon diabetes cases or hypertension or cardiovascular cases. I'm also seeing that there is there is a will, and for example, uh, two weeks ago there was a launch of the new PHC guidelines, you know, with algorithms for so that medical doctors could follow up, you know, on the latest recommendation of clinical care, and you have partners which has, are most likely uh, health uh, international NGOs that will help, you know our local partners to implement those algorithms. As, as Ruba said, the, the means are, are not there. The will and the, and the complexity of, uh, of, of thinking and, and the talent at the Ministry of Health is there. You know, uh, We always talk with them. They always have ideas. They always have uh, new you know, uh, out-of-the-box suggestions. But yes, I mean, this is, this is a small, like, uh, a uh, picture of a whole movie that you know that you need to develop and you need to 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 work to work upon. Unfortunately, as Maduri said, we cannot really look a long way into the future in, the, in our current state. You know, so it is also hard for us, like the IRC. We work both in humanitarian and development, you know, uh, world, and. Uh, it is hard for us to get funding, you know, to something in development, especially for uh, a case like Lebanon, you know, because it is not highly volatile, but unpredictable. It's unpredictable. You can never know when something can go wrong, you know, or so we are all, you know, doing our best to help, you know, the, 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 the people in need and those people are growing and growing in number, you know. 
So um, also we need to, you know, NGOs, people, uh, and in people by, by people, I mean normal uh, uh, people who uh, work or not in the healthcare sector uh, to let, you know, others know what is happening in, in, in Lebanon. Because what I get whenever I travel, uh, people come when they know that I'm a Lebanese doctor, they come to me and say, oh, hey, uh, uh, we don't hear about Lebanon in the news anymore. Uh, so the situation is good there, you know. So the fact that there's no news internationally about the situation in Lebanon makes things also harder, which this, you know, uh, podcast will contribute to, you know, to showcase at least to the professionals who will be uh listening to that that no the situation is not okay and there's a lot a lot of talent and people who are working to make to let or to 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 to, to let that health sector not stink you know be, and keep it afloat one i think uh, and, I'm, and i'm sure we're, uh, the ministry of Holy health hopefully is keeping tabs into outcomes let's say of chronic diseases before and after the implementation of some of these initiatives that they're implementing with the ngos and with the donors at this point and I have one one final question because we're, we're running up on time at this point. But one final question is, which is very important, I think, because when you hear the news now in Lebanon, like everything's being blamed on the refugee crisis and the Syrian refugees and they're taking up resources and they're taking up most of the donor funds and stuff like that. So you guys have numbers as to how much our, the donor funds what percentage of them is potentially benefiting the Syrian refugees and what percentage of them is benefiting the Lebanese? And and are the numbers going more to one direction or the other at this point? I don't know if Maduri wants to start and then Ruba comment on that. Sure, I can start on this one. So basically, I mean, I think, yeah, it's a very pertinent question because as you mentioned, it's all over the news. And I think a lot of it is, um, yeah, perceptions and assumptions that need to somehow be debunked with with the facts and figures and what's really happening on the ground so again i'm not i'm not uh, uh hiding the fact that you know the eu did become involved in the health sector initially because of the syrian refugee crisis and when we did become involved in the, in the in the sector the the basically the, the overarching um idea behind the programs was that we had a 50-50 and beneficiary group in terms of, of uh, Syrian refugees and Lebanese host communities. And I have to say that within the health sector, because we targeted primary health, it was easy to implement, right? Because maybe, for example, if you look at the education system, you have what is called second shift schools. So you have the Syrian kids are actually going to school after the Lebanese kids in the morning, right? So it's like a different it's a different system for the Syrian refugees. Whereas in health, because we're targeting primary healthcare centers and we're funding centers based on the number of people that they visit and they provide services to, we made no distinction to like, you can only support Syrian refugees or only Lebanese. It was like support whoever needs support. And then you report to us at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter in term, you know, for us to know how many Syrians were benefited and how many Lebanese were benefited. So initially it was a 50-50 target, let's say. Of course, in some areas like more remote in Beka and Akkar, where there's maybe a higher density of population of where Syrian settlements kind of started, there were more Syrian refugees that were benefiting. But in other urban areas like in Beirut and, and uh, Mount Lebanon, it was a higher percentage of, of Lebanese going. Again, we were in a context in which there was a perception that primary healthcare centers were for vulnerable people and poor people and, and Lebanese people who had insurance would just go to their general GP, pay for their consultation, have an insurance scheme to reimburse them. Now that 
you know, even Lebanese people don't have as much access to, pri to private care than, than they did, but they have access to these primary healthcare centers, we definitely see a shift where it's in some areas actually like 70, 30% in terms of, of Lebanese people attending rather than Syrian refugees um, or accessing. So over the last few years, we've seen a, a, a percentage increase and it's like an accumulative increase in, in the number of, of um, Lebanese that are attending to primary healthcare centers that are supported by us. Of course, we have access to data on centers that we are funding because uh, you know there's a reporting um, obligation there. But the same is, is trend is observed across the sector, and we know this given the, the sector coordination meetings that Vlad is mentioning and the, the updates that are given on a quarterly, monthly basis, and and the response plans that everyone is working in. So on that on that front, a hundred percent. I mean, on, in terms of primary health, we always had an easy way of accessing both populations because nothing was ever earmarked to a specific population. And then in addition, because there is this reporting, we see it also in, in terms of medication. I mean, as Roba mentioned, you know, with, with the removal of the subsidies, more people are now going to primary healthcare centers to, to have access to their medication, especially that of chronic disease. And there it, it's, it's clearly um, more Lebanese people have access to this than Syrians. I would add one thing, which is probably a challenge for us, is to basically cap it not once, if Lebanon were to all of a sudden be out of its crises and people were to have access again to insurance companies and, and you know, specialized care or whatever, I think it's important for us to basically capitalize on the fact that now you have an increasing number of Lebanese people that are going to these primary health care centers. They're seeing that they can get quality health services there. And so a challenge will be to basically keep them in these primary health care centers and make sure that they continue to use preventive care and promotive care, which is relatively cheap and even in terms of payment, because essentially the care that is provided at primary health care centers is much cheaper than that of tertiary. Um, so basically, in how, how to continue this incentive and this behavioral change and keep it. So keep this externality that has come from the crisis so that Lebanese people feel comfortable and, and taken care enough, well enough to continue to go to primary health care centers even once the crisis is over, if it ever is over. Okay, so maybe to complement uh, what Madhuri just said, so for us, actually, we have never had like a target uh, within our projects. We are, we are always asked, okay, how much percentage Lebanese Syrian? We have never had a target. For us, it's the only principle, it's the do no, do no harm principle. So it, it's only the vulnerability uh, assessment. And this vulnerability, it's not only financial. Sometimes when we, book, when we talk about mental health, it's more like cultural and social uh, vulnerability. So for us, it's only really the, the solely the vulnerability assessment that our partners can do in order to, to, to offer more equitable and, uh, and quality healthcare uh, health services. So the idea, we, we, we have witnessed the same shift. So uh, as the project started before beginning of 2019, before the, the crisis, it was that the percentage, it was more like 70. It depends from the region, but for example, in the north, it was mainly also 70% Syrians and the 30% Lebanese and uh, and others. And now actually we are seeing this shift. Uh, we are almost at half-half, 50-50. And in some regions we have more Lebanese than, uh, than Syrians. 
And here it's very important because if you see and compare the numbers, then you will have 70% Lebanese, 30% Syrians. And you may assume that Syrians are excluded from the system, which is not the case. It's just a matter of volume. So Lebanese didn't choose to go to uh, to PHC. This is why actually we are seeing this shift in number. But I mean, vulnerable Syrians are now even more vulnerable. And we have this huge middle class of Lebanese who shifted within this vulnerable uh, class. Uh, so this is very important to stress on and even to see a bit behind the numbers and not only see 70, 30, 30, 70. So, uh, so just to, to, to finish, so for us, we see that this shift, this crisis, let's take the opportunity of it and let's, let's make of the crisis an opportunity to rationalize a bit the public uh, sector, specifically the primary health care. Now it's an opportunity to reshape this uh, the system with the ongoing social economic crisis of the uh, of, of the country. So after years and years of dominance and uh, giving priorities to the hospital and tertiary public hospital and tertiary care, I think it's the time to reevaluate the importance of primary health care in order specifically to maintain that that the safe environment. For example, we don't see the tension. Uh, around the healthcare system, like we said in the education, this is what Maduri uh, said. Actually, primary healthcare, it's like really they are they, they have the trust of the patients. They, they are a place for healing, for reconciliation between Lebanese Syrians and regardless of the nationality. So they share the same issues, the same daily like uh, difficulties. So uh, the idea now it's really to give back the legitimacy and the credibility to this public system and to earn the, the loyalty and to retain the patients within the, the system in order to contribute to what we call or a kind of social contract uh, in, uh, in Lebanon. Equitable contract. And Vlad, do you see this happening? Do you see the shift happening on the ground uh, in mm. your experience uh, in terms of Lebanese versus Syrians and, and access to primary care? Yeah, so for, for I see uh, we work in, in the north and Akkar specifically, and between 2022 and 2023, we sometimes see like two Lebanese patients for one Syrian, you know, and it is not only because people don't have anywhere else to go, it is also because uh, we empowered the local community, you know, to actually come to the to the center and then whenever they come we go back to them and ask them like how their experience was what they like what they didn't like you know so we could you know rally this feedback uh, to our local partners and also encourage our local partners to get this feedback and so on you have when you get this wheel uh, going you will you know accommodate your services based on the community needs and this is what's most important here so you are slowly building the trust of the community in the primary system primary care system therefore uh, as maduri said we are capitalizing and we need to capitalize on this trust to stay there even before the crisis you know because we are people and, and we are investing a lot in, in, in the clinics, not only in financially, but in, in time and effort, but also sometimes we provide uh, repairs, uh, sometimes we provide medical equipment, sometimes even structural structural changes to the, to the health centers. So yeah, all of this is encouraging people to come more and, and, and more. 
And uh, yes, we are seeing a lot more uh, of the vulnerable Lebanese population to come uh, uh, come to our, our our supported health center. So yeah. Yep, yeah, thank you. Um, I think we're up on time right now. And thanks to all of you for being uh, on the podcast and for discussing uh, access to primary health care in Lebanon and the crisis. And I think it's important. I think what we highlighted today is there's more and more Lebanese who are in need of healthcare services than ever before when they were able to access private services in the past. And there's a need for the Lebanese government to, to work in conjunction with the donors and with the NGOs on the ground to develop a good primary health care system to decrease the cost of health care and improve access of care uh, to all Lebanese, which hopefully the Ministry of Health is doing. And the other important fact I think we highlighted is that the donors and the NGOs are trying to serve everyone and not only a specific uh, subpopulation of patients uh, in Lebanon. So thanks to all of you for being on the podcast.